You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. He's got it! Oh, baby! Every week, Travis Kura. That's yeah. great company, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! Thanks for pressing play on this episode of Two and Out. It's Travis Curra and Sheldon Jones as we recap Division Final Saturday in the Canadian Football League. We will talk about what happened elsewhere in Canadian football because it was basically Championship Saturday all across the country. I would say if you add up all of these games, there could be 65,000, 70,000 people across Canada out to football games, which is pretty damn cool any way you look at it, man. Absolutely. Yeah, no, football is it's alive and kicking. And it helps that the weather was nice. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> this time of the year, we could get uh, absolutely anything, but it seemed to be all right. The uh, Saskatoon Hilltops win the Canadian Bowl. They beat the West Shore Rebels 17-10, so congratulations to them. And uh, a wild finish in the Hardy Cup. The U of A Golden Bears looked like they were going to win this thing, winning Canada West for the first time in over four decades. But on the no, final no. final play of the game, UBC, the touchdown, the fullback, and the walk-off extra point winning 28-27. You got to love those finishes in football, man. Oh yeah, like any time, like in the CFL has the 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 rules for that, and you always love to see them come down to the last second. UBC is going to play Saint FX, who beat Bishops thirty four twenty three. Montreal grinded out a victory over Laval twelve six. Uh, the final there, and then uh, they're going to play Western, who beat Laurier twenty nine fourteen. Could we have? Two championship Montreal teams when it comes to football across Canada. Because as Andre put it on our YouTube channel, he's the big Alouettes fan. He's always there with a comment. He's like, you better put some respect on the Alouettes name. And they deserve it. 38-17 over the 16-2 and Toronto Argonauts. And it was the tone set on the very first drive. The Argos were driving down the field, and it looked like it was going to be a familiar story. They were going to use Olette. They were going to run all over teams. It was early on. A.J. Olette had, like, what, a 19-yard rush? First uh, play. Yeah. yeah. And they got right down to the seven-yard line. And then he's the most outstanding Canadian out of the East, right? Yeah. Uh, Marc-Antoine Decroix. He uh, takes the pick six, 103 yards the other way, touchdown Alouettes. They are up 7 nothing. And Sheldon, quite frankly, the Argos offense never recovered from that point forward. No, it was just a, it's a huge dagger. Um, if you remember earlier in the season, Montreal actually did that to Winnipeg. They picked, they, they had two pick sixes on Zach when early in one game, too. Uh, so 
Yeah, Montreal's defense, they just they know how to set the tone. They they just have playmakers. They it's this this whole weekend was defense. The game the defensive game. The defense has yeah. played there came to play. Uh but Montreal's defense very few I'm not going to be like Stiegel and say nobody saw this coming other than Montreal fans, but very few people saw this coming. I don't think it really – I mean, of course, I thought that they had a chance to win. I don't know if I would have told you they would have won by three scores uh, or <laughs> limited the Argos offense the way that they did. Uh, it was it was only 10-3 at halftime. So Toronto was in this game, and I guess – and that's – to Montreal's detriment a little bit. Like the, and and credit to even Toronto's defense. Overall, man, nine turnovers for the Argos. And Montreal had one offensive touchdown. So <laughs> it's not like you're feeling inspired as an Alouettes fan regarding the offense, but football's a team sport. There are three phases. They all go into winning a game, and clearly that's why they won this game. And I, the fascinating thing about this game is that it, it might have been one of the most important games in the last decade in Toronto. 26,620 people there. The most well-attended Argo game in BMO field history. And that's what happens. That's rough. And, I mean, you want to retain a lot of those fans going into next season, but this one has to hurt. Yeah, uh, I I actually feel for the Argos. (laughs) Like... It, it it feels weird to feel bad for a team that just went sixteen and two, but it does, it does, and but you also you had like yeah ten you know probably ten thousand people there that wouldn't necessarily be at a game. I know you said this in the group chat there, but like I was like it's crazy that the fans are booing yeah. a quarterback who took the who took them to fifteen and one, but the guy the guy threw like six six picks seven picks like he threw four himself oh just four okay but there were four turnovers but, on downs they yeah. were getting stuffed on short yardage yeah. they like it, nothing nothing went right no. for, for Chad Kelly and and you can tell that he was he was trying his hardest but also he was in over his head and even in the third quarter you could see him on the sidelines he was looking at the iPad and he just was mouthing like I don't effing know what the f is going on like you could just tell he was at that that's the point where you put camera dukes in and you just you see if you can get a spark like I I don't know why they didn't make a switch because regardless of if that guy's going to win MOP like the voting was before this week. It, Doesn't it's that feel gone. crazy? Yeah, it, it does. Because if you if you would have taken, but that that's why you can't have a single game make the outcome. So I understand it. But like, yeah, after this week, for sure, it looks like Oliveira should be the MOP. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if there's another instance where like the the MOP winning player goes out. In the last game of the year like that, you know? It's going to be it's gonna be crazy because the Argos are probably going to win 
80 percent of those awards and it's that's got to be really deflating but you can also use that as motivation too because they're getting the hardware and they need to they can use that for next year but i just i felt really bad for him because i think i don't think his coach helped him out by keeping him in the game that long i i really don't because that's just some of those picks weren't his fault some of the picks, the, the the player was just hiding. He couldn't see him. You could tell. But they were some bad but decisions out there. There's some, yeah. There was they, one that, yeah. you know, and he's made these throws in the past where he throws them completely across his body, but yeah. it's not good technique. It usually doesn't no. end well. And in this game, obviously, it didn't end well. But I got to ask you, and Derek Dennis kind of, he did tweet about this. When the Calgary Stampeders lost the 2016 Grey Cup to uh, Ottawa in Toronto. And now Calgary got back to the dance in 2018 in Edmonton and they ended up winning the game. But it's arguable that that 2016 team was better. And that 2016 team might have been better than the Argonauts this year. Like just how good they were. But... and. Derek said it. We never had any adversity. Uh-huh. The Argos had never had any adversity all year long. Fair. And it came yeah. at the worst possible time. I think if Chad Kelly performed like this in June and <clears throat> July, we wouldn't have been surprised. And I, I think that's the – our memories are quite short. Mm-hmm. He's a first-year starter. <laughs> what the – that's again, and I think that's what makes him win this award. If he if yeah. he was playing in the league as long as Zach Caleros, and he was going up against Brady Oliveira this year, I think Oliveira takes it just because you would have had that that tenure in the league already, showing that you've done it year after year after year. We didn't have that with Chad Kelly, so I social media is going to be pretty crazy with this all week. But that is what makes this season outstanding. For Kelly, fifteen and one as a starter, second highest winning percentage in a season ever. So that's outstanding, and I know it's a team game, but you're only as good as your quarterback. Now compare it to Montreal, the adversity they faced was right from the beginning, man. And then they picked up Sean Lemon, who, quite frankly, comes in probably with a chip on his shoulder, thinking that hey. Nobody really wants me. Thank you, um, too. Sankey. The, the Riders decided they didn't want him, and he went to the XFL. And he won a championship down there, and he comes back, and now he's a chance to win a cha- to double dip and win a championship he has again. He's played a lot of football this year. <laughs> but he's still playing at a crazy level. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> well, and then you look at the quarterback, you look at the head coach, I mean, they they were basically cast off from their team in Saskatchewan last year. So I I think that chip on the shoulder definitely inspires uh, a guy going into the year. But Montreal has had the deck stacked against them. The power rankings came out in June. I saw this. They were last before the season. And here they are going to be playing for the Grey Cup. I, I I think a remarkable season for the Alouettes. And 
just what they did to Chad Kelly. They made him look normal. Uh, he never got set. They, they forced him to make the bad decisions. And even their defense, like Toronto's defense was getting to Fajardo. Fajardo wasn't able to get too much done. Like He did throw an interception. Uh, again, it's one of those things where Cody's interception, you know, it, it ended up turning into nothing. Like, and all year long, we've seen the Argos force a turnover and then make you pay. But in this yeah. game, eh, nothing went right, man. And th- that was the weird thing. At the end of the first half, both teams had opportunities to go into the room with some real momentum. And I, I think the Montreal Alouettes set the tone when they stopped Toronto on third and short a couple times. D- do you think Dinwiddie maybe got himself away from what was making them successful during the year? Because Kelly stayed in for those short yardage plays and, well... Yeah. They didn't work. One of them actually looked like a really long third and one, and they tried the quarterback plunge, and obviously with Sankey and Lemon and Sewell up the middle, that's easier said than done. Yeah, um, it, it's it's very interesting that he didn't go with uh, Dukes because he, he ran short yardage all year long, yeah. so... I, I don't know why. Maybe they just wanted to do a tempo. Maybe he was he was thinking it would it would keep them off on their heels a little bit if they weren't able to get set. I don't know, but when he got stuff that first time, that's probably when as a coach you need to be like, okay, yeah, but we don't need to do anything fancy. We just need to do what we did to get here. And uh, when they did move to to Dukes, he was successful. When you have a power back like AJ Olette, he was successful. So, um, I don't know. I think, I think those early gambles by Dinwiddie there, I think he was just panicking because of that pick six. I think he, he knew that they had to answer. And I think they had been answering all year long. Like you said, like you said, Kelly has thrown his fair share of interceptions. They still, they still got more turnovers than they, they made obviously, but um, like, like you look at quarterbacks in the past, like, like in the NFL, Brett Favre and the CFL, Ron Lancaster, those guys threw a ton of interceptions, but they also threw a ton of touchdowns. And that's what Kelly was doing. And so I think that's just the frustration that happened when, when not only Kelly himself, but Dinwiddie, when he's seeing that, Hey, we're not actually rebounding like we were. And I think that just kind of led to them both panicking and overthinking and try to force things. And a lot of times when you deviate from your plans and you try to force things, it just, it's not going to work out for you. Yeah. After that second, third and short stop at the end of the half, uh, Cody threw an interception, 46 seconds to go. But then the very next play, (laughs) bizarre. Chad Kelly's holding onto the ball like a loaf of bread and up from behind is uh, the Lemonator strips the ball, forces a sack and gets the ball back for Montreal. But Montreal still couldn't do anything with getting that (laughs) turnover. Sean Oakman was an absolute monster early on in this game. And Uh, then... Then he took that... Oh, that bad penalty. And, And I think, like... 
from the replay, I don't know if it was like a hundred percent on. I think he kind of got pushed that way over a little bit too. I kind of thought the, so too that he hit the guard. Yeah, he hit the guard initially, but I think like just the momentum took him to before the center raised his head. But like you, you, you have to know in that situation that you cannot touch the center, or they're going to call that. So yeah, that that's a really tough because that was one of the the drives where Cody actually was able to put the ball in the end zone after that, right? So. Yeah, a couple of huge or three huge plays for them, but then that one costly, costly error just it's like a dagger. Yeah, you're right. It's 10 3 Montreal at halftime. We get a Reggie Stubblefield interception. I think it might have been off of a deflection. Uh, and then Toronto limited Montreal to a field goal attempt. And Sean Oakman, he hit the long snapper and. Extended the drive. Tyler Sneed gets the touchdown. It's 17-3 Montreal at that point. And then, like, the very next drive, Chad Kelly's picked off again by Darnell Sankey. David Cote misses a field goal after that. And then Chad Kelly throws a pick six. It's 24-10 at this point. I I was blown away because, you know, after the uh, that pick six... They put Kelly back in. They actually had a pretty good drive. It took forever, though. It did. It ate like five minutes off the clock. It was right at the beginning of the uh, fourth quarter. Uh, 13 plays, 89 yards, five minutes and two seconds off the clock. Uh, So there was 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Toronto's down by two touchdowns. Now, it's the CFL, man. They make a stop. They get back onto the field. Montreal doesn't get much of a breather. And all of a sudden, we got a game again. But. But. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing. I, I don't know what it is with Montreal and kick returners. They've got Super Mario. He gets hurt. Chandler Worthy comes in. He's doing great work. Chandler Worthy gets hurt. In comes James Letcher Jr. He's this is only his fifth game in the CFL. And he scores a 105-yard kickoff return for a touchdown to put the Owls back up by three scores. Just when you think maybe he can get settled down. We got the CFL clock on our side. We can get back in this thing. And then the special team scores. That hurts. Oh, it just, yeah, you go from the highest highs to the lowest lows. Like, it, you could hear a pin drop in that stadium after that. <laughs> like, just, you think, okay, because the Argos and Chad Kelly, they, they had come back from behind before, and they've shown that they can score in two plays if they wanted to. So there was definitely, I think there's a lot of people. I know you tweeted out on the account that it was over, and I was like, is it? And yeah, yes, yes, it was. But, and then that happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it's just like, oh, man. But entertaining as heck. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, and I, I guess we got, we better start giving props to Byron Archambault, the assistant head coach and special teams coordinator for the Montreal Alouettes. I think he's a guy that doesn't get talked about. Yeah. He might have the best beard in the CFL. So he yeah. definitely deserves credit <laughs> for 
for we that. We like our but, beards. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Mickey Donovans and the Mark Killams and, and you know, the Jeff Reinbolds of the of the world. They, they get all the credit in the world when it comes to special teams. Byron Archambeau, that's a name that I think we're going to need to know going yeah. forward here. And then I feel like once the Alouettes get a lead... It's pretty tough to take it away from them because I, I still don't feel, and I don't know what it is, like we've been able to get that complete dominant game from William Stanback right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But once they get a lead, that just seems that's when, you know, Stanback is at his best. Um, they actually had a 51-yard drive, Sheldon, after Devaris Daniels scored a touchdown uh, to b- bring Toronto back within two scores, mm-hmm. that 51-yard drive killed four minutes and 53 seconds off the clock. Yep. What are you going to do? Fajardo's running. He's They're, they're getting these short plays that <laughs> just eat clock. And mm-hmm. it's not pretty. But it gets it done, and it got it done for the Alouettes. <laughs> they, they had a, a touchdown at the end of the game from Jeshrin Antwi after taking over after a uh, turnover on downs. It ends, you know, nine total turnovers for the Argos. Now, the Argos, plus 27 turnover ratio on the year, and now the Alouettes were plus 14. Do the math. The Owls, <laughs> they're plus 22 now because they had a turnover. And those Argos are plus 19. That is the swing in this game alone. Oh, yeah. But still, Montreal did not take advantage of all those turnovers. And, and you're not going to be able to do that two games in a row. And you're not going to be able to do that against Winnipeg because... Again, like there's a difference between Zach Caleros and Chad Kelly as far as their career goes. Their the the amount of times they've been to the dance, the amount of times games they've played, the pressure situation. So, um, if you're a Montreal fan, yes, you're happy. You're really happy that you're going to the show. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done still. Yeah, we'll be able to talk about the Grey Cup a lot still, but mm-hmm. I just. At this point of the year, I don't think that you can push Montreal around like Winnipeg pushed BC around. No, well, their defense is is playing at a championship level. That's that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, uh, that's it. The Owls <laughs> they stun the country, and like I said on Thursday, there was no pressure on them. All the pressure was on Toronto, and they clearly felt it. And Chad clearly felt it in this one. I've seen quotes for him. He's going to be thinking about this one for a long, long time, all off-season long. And (laughs) next year, I I don't know, maybe they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Do we see Andrew Harris again in the CFL? Is he done? Hopefully. Um, (laughs) I'm over him. Like he can, 
what so you can sit on the IR for the whole season then come back and play a couple games in the playoffs like let's just you had a good you had a good season you yeah you enjoyed some juice now let's go it's over Ferris Bueller is the end of Ferris Bueller just go watch that <laughs> now Jason Moss the uh, post game speech what did you think wow. of that? It started as an uh, interview, yeah. but then the whole team was huddled around him. You love That's, the t- television f bomb, but man, it was good. That, but I'm telling you, like that's that's what that is what has made Montreal the team that they are. Is I think he takes every situation and he turns it into a teachable moment. If I could, if I could quote the great Andrew Chase. Uh, he like I I wanted to run through a wall just from hearing that one speech from him because he he instills his confidence in his team he he holds his players accountable but he he sets his players up for success he's he's obviously learned quite a lot since his stint as a head coach in Edmonton it's his demeanor on the sidelines, even when he, when he gets upset, he's, he's calm for the most part. Uh, he, he's not making those questionable decisions he did when he was at Edmonton, when, you know, kicking a field goal when you need to go for a touchdown or vice versa. Like, I think he's, he's definitely the most improved coach in the past few years. And these these players are obviously playing for him, and they want to win. And it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a heck of a game. They're gonna put up a good fight. In the last uh, few weeks, giving shoutouts to the linebackers in Montreal, well, Tyrese Beverett and Reggie Stubblefield combined for twenty one tackles. Wow! <laughs> Both of them had double digits: ten for Beverett, eleven for Reggie. <laughs> a remarkable game from the Alouettes, a complete team effort, scoring in all three phases. I mean, Sankey, Dequas, Stubblefield, KB and Ento with uh, an interception. Uh, it was Ruffin that had a big hit late in the game. And once they got that momentum, there was just no, no stopping them, man. Um, if we look at what happened uh, to the Argos here, Chad Kelly, 21 of 36, 240, 246 yards, four picks, and the one touchdown. Uh, he had 62 yards rushing. A.J. Olette, 14 carries, 71 yards. So he had over five yards of carry there. Devaris Daniels was their leading receiver with 77 yards. And then, man, we look at the Alouettes. Austin Mack, their leading receiver all year long, he only had 36 yards in this game. Uh, Tyson Philpot was actually their leading receiver, and they're without Kayon Julian Grant. Maybe they get him back for the Great Cup. Cody Fajardo, he had 175 yards, 18 to 25, a touchdown and a pick. But bottom line is, they went to BMO, where the Argos were undefeated all year, and got. The job done. Winnipeg took care of business at home 24-13 over the BC Lions. And BC had the first possession. There were 
doing all right. They got the first points on the board there. They they started with a field goal. But I felt like when Winnipeg got the ball, that was the tone setter. And Saskatchewan actually did it to BC right around Labor Day. They bullied the Lions in the trenches, and that's how they won the game. So I don't know, and they did mention it on the broadcast. Maybe the Lions are a bit undersized on the line, and uh, maybe they kind of hit the buffet and the weight room over the offseason or bring in a guy or two to see what happens. I know they ended up having an injury at defensive tackle earlier in the year. They were relying on Stove Richardson, right? And if he was on this team, maybe it's a little bit of a different story. Those guys, those guys are valuable to a defensive line. But Winnipeg's first drive, 10 plays, 70 yards, almost seven minutes off the clock, Every single one was from Brady Oliveira, and they took a 7-3 lead. And there was more than one play on that drive where Oliveira was stopped, and he kept his legs moving. The offensive line kept the push going, and including the one that ended up being the touchdown. Uh And the BC defenders, they just couldn't stop it. They, They got bullied. That's the bottom line. Yeah, and uh, I, you you love to see it. You love to see the the uh, a good running offense with the the hoggies pushing them and and just getting that extra five ten yards. I remember as a kid, like watching Zarka when he when he'd be moving the pile there, and then they would just come and uh, it's 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 always fun. Like playoff football, you want to have an a, a amazing like a, you need to have a running game to set it off and and. And Oliveira proved why he's the best running back in the league. And that that was about it. Like this game kind of reminded me of the Banjo Bowl, but not to the extreme that it got. Just the riders went in, they they got a field goal. They're like, okay, yeah, we got a score. And then at the end of the, it just boom. This score flattered BC, I think. I think it flattered BC a lot. You had two, we'll get into it, but you, Sergio missed a couple field goals. Uh like it just the I was saying the group chat, like I felt like I wrote off BC when they were even down by five points. It's just like, yeah, no, this game's over. Cause it's just, it felt like Winnipeg controlled it, even yeah. though they weren't up, you know? Yeah. It's just, they were setting the pace and they were, yeah. they were just running the clock, even in the second quarter, the third quarter. It's just, it was just a typical Winnipeg game, which they bring their lunch pails and they get to work. On the first drive of the game for the Lions, Take One Mizell had a 22-yard carry. Mm. And that's when I thought, oh, maybe this is what the Lions need to do. They're here to bring some balance and grind with the Bombers. Yeah. Mizell only got four carries the rest of the way. Yeah, And look, we only see so much on TV with uh, how big the field is and what the quarterback actually sees when he drops back to pass. But when the Bombers do not have to worry about the run at all, they've got the players in the secondary to to cover these guys. So we don't yeah. know 
Vernon got sacked 10 times. <laughs> or I guess nine, it says on the stat sheet. Yeah, they said 10 on the broadcast. They did. Bro. Yeah, they did. But when you're getting sacked that amount of times, at some point, Vernon's holding onto the ball too long because, you know, the DBs can't be. He just wasn't seeing it. <laughs> and whatever Rich Richie Hall brought was confusing him, you know? Yeah, well, and, and he also didn't even have the opportunity. Like, he's a shorter quarterback, and when yeah. you have someone like Willie Jefferson coming down on you with his giant-ass arms, and, like, <laughs> like there was, there was lots of times where Vernon went to drop back, and he, he was just – he already felt the, the pocket collapsing, and he was just – it was just game time, and he couldn't even get away to throw the ball away. But there was a couple times when he could have thrown the ball away, and he didn't. So that's just growth. Um, I know I said on the last show here that – I, I was tired of hearing the bad VA and the good VA. Um, and I don't think there were, this was a bad VA game. I just think like he was, he was overwhelmed by the pressure. Like, I think, I think just like Chad Kelly, he put too much of it on his own shoulders and tried forcing it a little bit, holding on to the ball a little bit too long. Like it's just, but like you said, with Mizell only getting four carries at that, his offensive quarter needs to help him out by setting the pace and getting more run. Even if you, even if you get stuffed and you only get a couple yards on first down, you're at least showing the bombers that you need to, they need to stay honest and respect your run game, but they didn't because there was one, there wasn't any. There were a few moments in the game where uh, Dembski and Oliveira couldn't make the, uh, block on the, the the rushers from the Lions. So they were yeah. able to get to Zach and pressure him as well. But the other way, like the, the bomber D-line, <laughs> Willie Jefferson had two sacks. He had two knockdowns here. So, and he had a forced fumble. And I know VA ended up recovering that fumble. But I, I do wonder if that knee is affecting him a little bit. I did think there were a few times yeah. where he could have taken off and had the first down. And I don't know if that's the same knee that has been bugging him throughout the season. There have been a few games where he's been limping around out there. I, I uh, think it is the same knee, but I can't say for certain. So I don't know if we're going to hear about that in the coming days or yeah. what was wrong with VA, but there were multiple games this year where he was limping around out there. And maybe that yeah. did affect him here in this one, 13 of 26, 221 yards, three picks and a touchdown was his final stat line there. Um, and I know that <laughs> it, it felt like Winnipeg was dominating but they didn't have a passing game going either. Zach Caleros, 14 to 21, 158 yards. I guess the difference with the Bombers is they didn't turn the ball over. And uh, they, they played clean football. And they didn't give BC opportunities to uh, take over with many short fields uh, for most yeah. of the game. They were playing with a long field. And the, the field was tilted in Winnipeg's favor here. But it's they they didn't really pull away either, and 
special teams ended up being a factor in this one as well. Because after that first drive for uh, the the Bombers, where it was all Brady all the time, they were kind of trading two and outs, you know, grinding some yards here and there. And then the punt block happens and the Bombers go up 15-3. That was an impressive punt block. <laughs> it's like a punt tackle. Like it was like yeah. <laughs> he was back there in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> missed their assignment on that one. <laughs> and I guess some injuries for both teams here that mm-hmm. maybe ended up being factors for especially the Lions in the receiving yeah. game. And I know VA was looking to Justin McInnes a lot in this one, but Keon Hatcher seems to have become the leader in the BC Lions receiving core, and he got hurt pretty early. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually didn't even have a target in this one. So, and it looked non contact. And there were also, I don't know if the, the turf in Winnipeg, I don't want to start something crazy. Mm-hmm is kind of reaching the end of its lifespan. We, we've seen kind of rumblings of that in Calgary as well with how many injuries yeah. happened there this year. But Adam Big Hill gets hurt for the Bombers. TJ Lee gets hurt for the Lions, and so does Keon Hatcher. Those are two key injuries that the Lions had to had to deal with in this game. Yeah, um, losing those players. Anytime you lose players of that caliber, it's going to hurt you. Uh I know it's always next man up, but yeah, especially in the playoffs, it's it's tough for that next man to really, you know, ha- be significant because they probably don't have the experience that the starters would have at that point, right? So tough losses, and then hopefully, hopefully, Big Hill's good for the Grey Cup, but uh, it, it looked like it looked weird because he was walking off, and then it it, it obviously tightened up or whatever. Yeah, right? when it he hit him again. Sidelines, yeah. So hopefully, he's okay. So I got to say, maybe Kyrie Wilson is one of the most underrated defenders in the CFL for the Bombers. He gets a sack in this one. He also has three tackles. He seemed to be more uh, involved in the play when Big Hill left the game, but it's in the first half. It's 18-3. The Lions convert that fake punt on third and short. And then VA gets sacked two plays later, and it was just the story of this game. Anytime, you know, BC made a play, Winnipeg was again in the backfield and forcing a loss with the Lions. Just uh, no time there at all. But 18-3 Winnipeg, end of the first half. (laughs) VA throws a prayer. I don't know if you can plan that. (laughs) Well, according to Glenn Suter, that's exactly how they wrote it up. <laughs> hey, and Old if they Peter. drew it up like that, I uh, am uh, deeply impressed. But, uh, you know, the like, cl- uh, cluster of defenders and McInnes, it's... I, I'm certain it is drawn up for the, the player that's down back. They yeah. are supposed to look for loose balls. But I, it didn't look like BC was trying to bat the ball forward. They were trying to catch the ball. So is Winnipeg. It was a lucky bounce and a good reaction. Like, let's not make it more than it is here. It was, it was a Hail Mary that got answered. So we had a game at that point. BC is only down eight at halftime. Yeah. Um, And they get the ball to start. 
and they had a nice return. Terry Williams put them into really good field position to start the second half. But can you guess what happened, Sheldon? <laughs> I think I can guess what happened. <laughs> Two straight sacks. Yeah. For the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. After that 43-yard return from Terry Williams. Just any momentum. Just gone. In an instant. Uh, and, and the Bombers, they actually ate five minutes off the clock after that. Missed the field goal. Uh, there, the, the Lions answer back with a field goal of their own. So we're in the third quarter. They're only down five. So they've I'm pretty sure around. this is exactly where I sent that message. Yeah. Was like they're they were they, they were hanging in there. It's just they weren't doing anything to take these advantages that Winnipeg yeah. was giving them. And and when you're a, you're not going to win playoff games if you don't take advantage of of the other team's errors. Yeah, this was just Winnipeg football. Uh, Justin McKinnis gets a huge catch. Winnipeg follows it up with a sack. BC converts a second and 21. And then DeMario Houston with an interception, his eighth of 2023, obviously a, a ball hawk this year, an incredible season uh, from him. And then Zach starts looking Kenny Lawler's way. He draws a pass interference. He makes that incredible catch by elbow dropping the turf inbounds. <laughs> can't. It's not the. Did, did did Jerry have an elbow drop? Yeah. No, or was it the fist? Yeah, it was the fist. Yeah, yeah. but he but it, he's given his best macho man. He was macho man Kenny the King elbow drop. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. When I first saw it, I was like, no, there's no way. He didn't get his feet in. And then that other that other view, you just see that elbow hit, and it's like, wow. That's what why he's the king, man. Yep. That's why he's the king. So, I mean, it's just one of those games where Winnipeg just grind, grind away, grind away, you know, make it tough on the offense, kick field goals, stay yeah. healthy. <laughs> For the most part, I mean, because they're playing banged up. Clearly, Bailey's hurt. Dembski's hurt. Uh, or was he hurt? I don't know. His ankles look <laughs> fine to me. Like, he, he had, like, 17 shots of Tordal, I guess. Like, he got some of the good stuff, apparently. Yeah, he looks fine. <laughs> uh, will Schoen be ready for the Grey Cup? That's a big question That's, for that yeah. receiving core. But, Sheldon, I think this is a big problem with the Lions. Dominic Rimes doesn't get his first catch until 2.44 left in the game. And then the third and five call, where the Lions are down 11. And they, they try to hit Rimes deep. Now, I don't have a problem with the call because... I, I just say I would take Dominic Rimes in a one-on-one situation nine times out of ten. That's all I'm saying. The problem yeah. I have with it is why were they not taking those shots earlier? And I don't know if they were seeing Rimes in one-on-one situations earlier in the game, but I think they needed to do that a lot earlier than two minutes left in the game because I think yeah. taking your chances with number 19 would have paid off well for them. 
Yeah, there was also the safety there too. So it wasn't quite only one-on-one. I wouldn't say it was fully double coverage, but like I got pissed because like you need five yards there and you could have had a check down and I get it. You want to get a bunch of yards and, and yeah, like you said, usually nine times out of 10, Dominic Ryan's is going to get that. But at that point, you got to, you got to kind of, not worry about flashy and we'll just worry about safe and get, just get those, get a first down. Uh, but I'm not a coach, I guess. I'm not a player. I'm just a guy who was hoping a couple teams would win today and didn't. So it's just like any other rider weekend for me. But I mean, there were Evan Holm. He seals it with an interception at the end. He makes that big stop on Dominic Rhymes. I mean, yeah. you had a BC defender breaking up a Kenny Lawler touchdown with his shoe. <laughs> it was like a sweet chin music almost. I don't know if I've ever seen that in a playoff game. I mean, nope. dude. And- and they let and the refs were letting them play too for the yeah. most part in both of these games. There's a like there's only one kind of penalty that I thought should have been called that maybe wasn't. But like I think for the most part they let him play and that's and that's good. You want to see that. There's no there wasn't really any glaring issues. There wasn't any missed calls. So it was very like very well officiated games. So I'm glad we got that. Um it's the bombers, man. It's That's, the bombers. What else can you say? Uh, four straight Grey Cup appearances. Two out of the last three, they won. Zach Kolaris, the first quarterback in CFL history to start four consecutive Grey Cups. But according to uh, people on X, he's just a game manager. <laughs> And he sh- and the riders shouldn't have ever got rid of him. Give me a break. Ninety eight percent of the CFL fans and probably coaches thought he should probably retire. And Toronto thought he was done. I think. I, th- I, yeah, they were just like they were going to take a flyer on him. They sent a, a fifth round pick or whatever, which that pick turned out to be Keon Schaefer Baker. Rider fans, so. Let's remember that. And then Toronto, if Matt Nichols doesn't get hurt, Winnipeg doesn't trade for him. And who knows what happens. So this was like six different things that had to go right for Caleros to have the success that he's having. But you have all these Ryder fans who somehow try to make it feel like he's the guy who should have been the guy and he should have been my guy and he's not my guy, so I'm mad about it. No, like... (laughs) Be happy that the guy didn't, you know, can still form sentences because he wasn't getting concussed over and over again. He he got put on a team that had an amazing offensive line. And, and yeah, two former rider quarterbacks. That's going to be the entire narrative where I live this week. <laughs> so I hope I can get more on the CFL feed and the the other teams feeds because this echo chamber I'm in is going to be miserable. <laughs> You're going to massage that algorithm, brother. <laughs> I'm trying. Believe me, I'm trying. Get some of those Bombers and Owls fans on your uh, time. Bomber fans are insufferable. Like, <laughs> I, I, know, I know why everyone turned on Ryder fans after, like, 
2007, oh, yeah. 2007 I, I and know what you mean. Yeah. 2009 and 10. And it's just. here. Here's my thing. The, the, the small contingent of Bomber fans that hate their quarterback. <laughs> How many other teams in the league would love Zach as their guy, you know? <laughs> no. uh, that one I will never. Yeah, let's complain about two Grey Cups of the last three years. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we get a Grey Cup matchup we've never seen. And that's crazy. That That's literally crazy. I know that Winnipeg has spent a significant amount of time in the East. Yeah. And maybe there were times where Montreal wasn't in the league. But still, yeah. uh, the fact that it's never happened, I think, is pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, I guess. No, I'm just joking. It is. <laughs> it's, it's cool. It's, a good, it's, it's another good narrative for the league. So hopefully they can use that instead of the two former Ryder quarterbacks. Um, but... It's it, it, when it just comes down to it, it's two very well coached teams who one of them is a just a perennial like all star team, and the other one is like just a band of misfits that came together and are playing for each other and their coach. So, I this has the makings to be a really good game. Like, both defenses are unreal. Winnipeg's offense, you definitely have to give them the edge. Montreal's special teams. Maybe gets a slight edge, but but Winnipeg's is is really good too. I I don't know, man. It's but again, Montreal doesn't have any pressure. Yeah, I they're agree. the underdogs. Nobody again. Everyone wrote them off against Toronto, myself included. People are going to write them off against Winnipeg too. Even after this dominant yeah, defensive I performance, so. they're still going to write them off, and they're still going to say Cody can't win the big one. They're still going to say that Bombers are just the better team. But again, any given Sunday, and we're back to Sunday next week. I think that any... might be the story. Can can Cody get over the Winnipeg hump? Winnipeg is his kryptonite. So it, that's – I didn't even remember, like think about that. That's right. There you go. That's a better, better storyline than he's a former Ryder quarterback. Just Winnipeg against Cody. Let's just roll with that. Now – I don't know. Hopefully the crossbars at Tim Hortons Field don't uh, <laughs> get in his way. But, hey, Montreal's first Grey Cup appearance since 2010. Uh, look, Anthony Calvillo remembers that well. He's in the in the booth now with the team, so he, he knows what it takes to win a Grey Cup. Where did the we BC remember th- that well. Yeah, I, I was pretty darn cold <laughs> at that game. Where I sat at Commonwealth Stadium, it was like lower bowl in the corner end zone and the like where we sat the concrete was just caked with ice like it was brutal they didn't bother taking the ice <laughs> chip to it at all it was just brutal like i was frozen but yeah made it through that's what uh, going to the great cups all about um where do the lions go from here is it really just uh getting healthy and getting back at it because you know what? Like they crushed Winnipeg in July and I think they truly believed they'd be able to, you know, do it here, but they, 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 somewhere along the way, they, they kind of fell off the wagon a little bit after their hot start. Yeah. uh, They're still a really good team. Uh, So I think, I think they just need to 
retool maybe uh i don't know like i they need to I, they need to build a running game i like i, yeah, I that's, wonder that's yeah how would it have gone if they had james butler i don't know they mm-hmm. they didn't give him the ball much either really as much as no. you know you would have liked when he was with them but they need a running yeah, yeah. game yeah yeah, upgrading the running back and the, and the O line. That's probably where BC needs and and their defense. Their defense definitely took a slide in the second half of the season. So whether that's something that Ryan Phillips can fix, whether he needs to get some different playmakers in there or or what, but I think those are the the three things that will take BC over the hump if they can rectify or solidify those those areas. I'm interested to see what's going to happen with Toronto. Um, obviously they got their quarterback, they got their guy, they got their center, but they actually do have lots of veterans on that team. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sad we didn't get to see Henoch Mwamba play at all this year. And maybe it's the last time we've ever seen him in the CFL. And if last November is the last time we saw him on a football field, uh, playing, yeah. that's awesome. And I, I, I still think he's probably celebrating that moment and winning, you know, the MOC and MVP of the Grey Cup. Oh, um, for sure. I, he also got paid his entire salary for yeah. not doing anything, and I'm sure he got a nice salary from the CFL for doing the wagon and everything. So he had a pretty cushy year. Yeah, I think he's laughing. And <laughs> and and if he does retire, at least he he technically did go out in his playing career. Yeah. With, with that, so yeah, but once a rider, right? So I always like to see former <laughs> riders succeed. Andrew Harris might might be done. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, uh, let's, let's uh, move on. <laughs> there might be some other uh, Argos, but I think they're going to come back uh, with yeah. a vengeance as well in twenty twenty four. Well, like Derek Dennis said, this is their adversity now. This is if you want to. We like wrestling. This is. This is Don't the, the yeah. This is this is their Cody Rhodes losing WrestleMania, right? So we'll see what happens next year. Well, hopefully they can make it to the dance next year and lose again, and then continue that story. <laughs> hey, if you wanted to bring Cody we, into this, we would like to finish the story, Travis. Okay, hey, just because you're a hater, I'm okay with dragging the story on, brother. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta milk it like Disney and Star Wars. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yes. Let's do that. Let's, let's do that. <laughs> the 110th Grey Cup is set. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Montreal Alouettes, just like we had it all drawn up back in June. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I, this of course I two and zero oh this week for me, right? So. <laughs> FML. <laughs> you can rate, review, and subscribe to Two and Out on your favorite podcatcher and like and leave a comment on YouTube as well. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back later this week. I'll be talking to you from my hotel room in the hammer. Can't wait to get back to Southern Ontario. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter. 